Welcome to the best of Real Talk. In this episode, what the hell is going on at Twitter or X or whatever you're calling it? We talk to experts on the social media side, and then we talk to experts on branding to get as best of an understanding as we can relating to what Elon Musk is up to. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Business Career College. Did you know that certified financial planners start at six-figure salaries in Canada and the demand for them is growing fast? Become a CFP with Business Career College and you could launch your own business, earn great money, and help people achieve their financial goals. Business Career College is the best place to get your CFP with online courses, expert instructors to help you through, and decades of experience helping students to succeed. Learn more at businesscareercollege.com. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Every Friday, we present our Real Talk Roundtable. Sometimes it could be about a whimsical topic. Sometimes it might directly focus on an item in the news. That's the case with this hilarious trio. Kathleen Smith, Carly Watson, Beverly Teresa. They work professionally online. They understand social media better than most, and they try to sort out what's happening with X. When you wake up in the morning, Beverly, are you are you on Twitter like in the first 10 minutes or is that something that you ease into once you've had a couple of coffees? I check my email and then I check Twitch because I want to see who's online. And then that's then I check Twitter like after I've had coffee, after I've had breakfast. I was telling you a quick story uh, earlier this week. Somebody who I don't know, but a real talker. So, you know, I appreciate them right away came up and said, why are not you streaming on Twitch? Why are you on Twitch? And uh, you don't need to be on Twitch, Ryan. That's what I told you. You literally do not have to be on Twitch. Okay, so I'm hoping that like we're going to have a lot of people that are super keen that understand a lot about social media and the digital landscape listening to this. But some people are going to be listening to this to learn and, and kind of at the basic level. So Twitch is a platform where people can stream things like gaming, like or- gaming, hot tub scenes, um, ASMR, where they lick microphones. So it sounds sexual. Uh, as well as like crafts so that's what I do on Twitch I do crafts but you can also have talk shows on it but I don't think your audience is on Twitch Ryan yeah I agree but this and this and I said to this person I said well we don't want to be on too many places we want people to know that they can find us on YouTube or wherever they get their podcasts and you can stream our audio live on the Mixler audio app presented by California closets (laughs) but I don't think we need to be on 15 platforms what would you tell businesses like ours you tell us don't worry about it don't sweat it figure out if your audience is on it Mm -hmm. and if they are then go there or master what you're on right now so master Facebook LinkedIn whatever you may be on right now and then consider adding another platform yeah that especially I think too many people uh, are are so focused on getting onto every platform that they forget maybe not every platform is right for you. Mm. You know? Is there one that you've walked away from or one that you've not even joined? Well, I walked away from Twitter a, a week ago. A week ago? Yeah. I've, I've not tweeted in a week. I put my account on um, protected and walked away. Uh, the Andrew Tate thing was, that was my Twitter Waterloo. Yep. And that was the moment where I had to ask myself some some very hard questions. I think 
if we're going to get into this now. <laughs> yeah, let's get into I, it. I think First what, of all, okay, so Andrew Tate, uh, he's, he's like a, a mixed martial artist, but he's a, he's a, a digital personality, kind of a noted and proud misogynist. Uh, he's worth millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. He was recently indicted. Wasn't he arrested in yeah. Romania on human trafficking charges? And rape. Yeah. And, and rape. But he's got a huge following of hardcore fans. Yeah, and he uh, he's currently on house arrest. Okay, so what was the trial. Andrew Tate thing? Uh, seeing that and that seeing that Musk had sent him a check for twenty thousand dollars, okay, and that that's directly from ad revenue. And then, of yeah. course, I mean, the three of us know how ad revenue works yeah. on social media mm-hmm. platforms. The more eyes that see the advertising yeah. means more money, and now that money is going to someone like Andrew Tate. And what that it's not only it's not only immoral, it's dangerous, <laughs> it's dangerous and it's going to encourage men like Andrew Tate or other high profile uh, destructive accounts to be even worse. Yes, he is paying them to be even worse. And that was for me, that was the moment where it it dawned on me. I can't be here in good conscience anymore. I cannot open this platform and scroll and know that every time I'm scrolling, I'm contributing to the advertising dollars that Musk is paying to an alleged human trafficker and rapist who's on house arrest. Like, what am I doing? I can't yeah. even call myself a feminist and be on this platform. Well, it's like, so, where are the morals in that, right? It, yeah, like that for me was a, a breaking point. And it, uh, we have a friend in common, Dr. Rob Tarswell. I think you've interviewed him on at your mm-hmm. last job a few times. I've known Rob since uh, junior high school. Yeah, we don't talk about the last job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I say just the last job. No, we talk about it a lot, actually. And uh, he and I got into a discussion about it. And he's, um, he's a psychiatrist who deals in urgent psychiatric care. And when he said to me, and you know, he's dealt with rape victims. He's, he's dealt with some of the worst scenarios we can imagine. And when he said to me, yeah, that was my Twitter Waterloo too. That was the moment I, I knew I had to get out. Then I felt better for it. I, I mean, it's not easy. I've been on there 13 years. Well, I'm it's looking at your, easy. so here's your, here's yeah. your tweet right here. Uh, at Kiki Planet, you tweet, I don't think I can be here in good conscience anymore. Uh, and then you link to a story from Aaron Rupard, does an amazing job, by the way. Um, but, but let me just say it, like you have 48,000 followers. Yeah. You, uh, you co-host a podcast, the, the uh, political uh, women of Alberta politics podcast, like Twitter, you know, to a certain degree, you, you sort of feel like you almost need it. Yeah. To do your job. So you're, so you're doing this at, so, I mean, I know you're not looking for pats on the back and stuff like that, but you're, it, it's detrimental to what you're endeavoring to do. You're, you're, you're nailing your feet to the floor to a certain degree, right? Yeah. On yeah. a matter of well, principle. And um, I, you know, because we've been friends uh, pretty much since Long time. the day I was first started on Twitter, that Twitter for me wasn't just a social media platform. It's become uh, a very important part of my identity in this city, yeah, even. sure. You know, it's an extension of my life, and I, I held off a long time quitting for for that reason. And we've built communities there. Mm-hmm. In the early days of Twitter, the Edmonton Twitter community did amazing yes. things. Amazing. It was kind of Edmonton work. was almost kind of known, at oh, least yeah. around the country, even further as like a city yeah. was very engaged, yeah. right? Internationally, we were known. The, yeah. I believe it was WAPO did yeah. uh, a whole column about what an amazing Twitter community we built in yeah. this prairie town. Huh. We're so, one of the most active um, 
communities Carly, in Canada. Why, why do you think that is? I, I don't know. You got to look at like Edmonton in itself. Like I feel like Edmonton is such. Um, it's a big city with like small town kind of community. Like everybody knows everybody. And I feel like there's so much activity that happens within Edmonton that really connects people. And on Twitter, it was just like a whole other dynamic of connecting online with everybody within Edmonton that way. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Why, why did you, so people's people and myself included uh, are feeling like or noticing in some cases that it's, it's undeniable that engagement is way down on the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beverly, you joined us uh, back on April 27th of 2022. Right. Um, and you were talking to us. This was right around the time that there were the rumblings that Elon Musk was was moving to acquire Twitter, that it was going to be around 40 billion dollars, the purchase price. And we brought you on. Uh, to give us some insights on how you thought that might shake up or influence the platform, what it might do to people who do business on the platform. I'm curious to see how your comments on this or your initial concerns have <laughs> aged. Uh, let's check the tape. Here's Beverly Teresa on Real Talk uh, about a year and a half ago. I've been using Twitter since 2008. I am, I'm in love with it. <laughs> and would like to marry it. But also, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I'm really super excited to see where it goes, but also kind of nervous because I feel like it's like my social media baby. And as a marketer, um, him talking about how he doesn't maybe want to show as many ads and things like that. So how does that impact my industry as well? Okay. So present day. (laughs) Twitter advertising has actually gone down according to some reports, which is, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing for Twitter, probably a bad thing. Um, And engagement, I I feel like, has gone down as well. And um, I love Twitter still. I'm mad about certain things, but I'm still dedicated to the platform. Yeah, what would be your assessment at this stage on what the Musk impact has been? Like, do you, do, you, do you get the sense some people would assert that he's running this thing into the ground? Other people are going, well, uh, this guy's kind of like, he, he's crazy like a fox, right? This guy's a guy that's built Tesla and SpaceX. And do you I, think he can do the same with Twitter? I think he's running it down into the ground, unfortunately. And I am a big fan of Jack Dorsey, like the founder of Twitter. Um, and Jack Dorsey has gone off to create other platforms similar to Twitter that haven't been as successful, but... Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of Twitter. I think Elon Musk kind of ruined it. But I also hate yeah. threads. So, OK, <laughs> well, here's the, here's the segue. The, the advertising, though, that's a very good point. Musk yeah. himself has said advertising on Twitter is 50 percent down from when he took over the platform. And he's talking about how he doesn't even really have the cash right now to do anything with it. When he bought Twitter, it was valued at $44 billion. Here we are eight months later, and it was at 15 billion before Zuckerberg launched Threads. So what's he looking at now? I mean, his entire monetization, paying Andrew Tate, paying um, the Krasin, Krasenstein's, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's really about trying to get people to stay on this platform. Do you have an issue with are... the Krasenstein twins, by the way? Oh, yeah. We had one of them on the show a while back. Oh, did, did you? you? Know that? Yeah, yeah. They're musk ass kissers. Yeah. yeah. They, they just kiss ass. And yeah. for them, it's all about their numbers and their popularity. It's not about being effective. So 
I'm not big fans but of that. But for most either. people on social media, it's about numbers absolutely and popularity. It is. No, absolutely. It brings out the is. worst in people, doesn't it? it? Like it, it brings out the sure. in, in our vanity. <laughs> yeah. Right? Our narcissism. In, in our ego and oh, our yeah. narcissism. Yeah. It feeds yes. it. It absolutely does. I mean, I've been prey to that. You've been prey to that. Of course. I think anyone who manages to establish any kind of following on the platform, you fall prey to the uh, the local celebrity. You start thinking you're a pretty big deal. <laughs> oh, hell. You do. And it, you can get trapped in that for years. But I, I, I think there's still some people who have attempted at least to continue using the platform for the greater good. But when you've got an owner who is basically, you know, fuck the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's his approach to everything. everything. Not, <laughs> not just that. Uh, support the bad. It's yeah, like, support yeah. the bad. Yeah. He's amplified the absolute dredges and of you know, the internet. Like, it just makes it okay for other people who are like hiding within those thoughts yeah. and those values that they have um, to vocalize them yeah. and put them on the internet. And it's just astounding to me to see how many people that I was even close to within like the last five years that I am no longer close to because I didn't realize that they had these certain things that had come out of them because that had made it okay for them to vocalize it, or yeah. at least in their mind. Well, and I think we yeah. have to consider too that trolls and, and bot farms yes. aren't content creators. Mm-hmm. So when when Musk takes to his own Twitter account to brag about, ooh, screen time's up this much, ooh, and engagement is up this much, well, we don't know where he's getting the numbers from. They're not internals, we know that much. And the other thing he's not telling people is that you might have some butthead in mommy's basement who's got 50 troll accounts and he's running them all and each account is tweeting, you know, a tweet Mm -hmm. per minute. That is not content. No. And the content creators that drove Twitter, that made the platform what it is, and did that work for free, mm-hmm. they're leaving in hordes now. Yeah. Because there isn't a space there for content creators anymore. Okay, so when you pieced out from Twitter a week ago, did you automatically, or had you already moved over to Threads? It was or already act- there. You had activated, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's simple to use for people that don't know basically this, and, and you, you all three can correct me because I really don't know what I'm talking. I have a basic, <laughs> just ask Johnny, I have a basic working understanding of all of this. But if you had an Instagram account already, they've made it pretty simple. You still have the same username. You basically yeah. click one button and then you have threads. Yeah. Threads is kind of like a hybrid of Instagram and Twitter, right? It's, it's. Mm, I would say it's more like early Twitter. Okay. Uh, I think, I'm, I'm not sure how much your audience is aware of how Threads came about. Well, school so us. Let's discuss that just a little yeah. bit. So Zuckerberg's team at Meta had already been working on a an extension for Instagram that they didn't plan on serving as a Twitter replacement, but more of just a way to get some people from Twitter to move over to their engagement platform. Then Musk put that limit on reads. Yeah. So out of the blue, we all wake up one morning and hey, guess what? If you're not an eight buck chuckle fuck. <laughs> here, here Can we write that good. down? I was going to say, we got to put that on a t-shirt. Eight buck chuckle fuck. I am stealing that, but I will credit you. You need to tweet yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're not paying him $8 uh, a month to be on the platform, well, guess what? You only get to read 600 tweets. 
I have 46,000 followers. I follow close to 15,000 people. 600 tweets. That's a joke. That's 90 seconds yeah. on Twitter for me. And then I can't read anymore. Yeah. Then my, my rate limit is expired. Well, when Meta saw this, they immediately decided, okay, we have to launch now. Yeah. And they weren't ready to launch, but they <laughs> launched it anyways. And unfortunately, I think in the absence of a few, um, a few fundamental Twitter options, that hurt them. And they are slowly working on the platform and bringing those options in. But until they've got, I, I, I think it was a mistake for him to launch without uh, hashtags. He should have at least waited till I agree. Yeah. he had hashtags because that turned a lot of people off. They mm -hmm. couldn't find the topics they wanted. They couldn't find the other users they yeah. wanted to engage with. I love that podcast, Today Explained. They do a really great job. I don't know if you guys oh, listen awesome. to this. It's like a 12 to 15 yeah. minute. Uh, yeah. Just a, They do such a good job. And uh, they were saying that one of the fascinating things about watching threads in the first couple of days was you could see improvements happening. You've got like some of the world's yeah. best code what do you call them? Code writers, programmers? authors, code programmers. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, some of the world's best working on it. And so they would say, like, you could see the, the the app evolving over the course of several hours. Yeah, and improvements being made to it. Typically, though, that's not how you want to launch something. You don't want to be doing it in, in the public eye. No, but he played it smart. He the the thing he did that was smart was. Uh, make that like a draw make it a bonus you get to tell us what you uh, want next. you're in on yeah. the ground floor yeah exactly so you in the first five minutes of the show you assert beverly i hate threads i don't like it how come <laughs> personally like for personal use i do not like it because okay well i don't really use instagram that much and some of the instagram people i follow i don't really like i just follow them back um <laughs> It's a creep follow. <laughs> can, can we turn this into like a, a psychologist moment? Like, how, well, why do you think that is? Do you, um, you feel pressure to follow back? I do feel pressure to follow back. Huh. Even like on all, even on Twitter, like some a real person will. I make sure they're a real person. A real person will follow me, and I'm like, and maybe they've tweeted at me before, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll follow you back, even though I don't want to. Ah, I see. Interesting. I, I'm just a nice person. I can't help being this nice. Yeah, you are a nice person. <laughs> so, 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 but you, but you've got strong words. Good Canadian. You got. Strong Strong words uh, for threads. What is it kind of in particular? I think that people are going to conf like the Instagram users are going to confuse it for, hey, this is just going to be where I post the same stuff that I post on Instagram on threads. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I just feel like, I don't know, it's missing so many features as well as like you can't delete threads uh, like you can't delete your username from threads unless you delete your Instagram account, which I don't really like. It's oh. changing soon, though. Yeah. Yeah. Meta's promised that'll change within the next month or so. I have okay. to say what I do like about it is, so I have Instagram verified for many reasons. Um, obviously, I wanted to test it just based on, you know, working with so many clients over the years, I wanted to see what it was about. But when Threads was introduced, it also transfers over to Threads. So you're not just verified on Instagram, you're verified on Threads. And help people understand, like, why is it such a big deal to be verified? Everyone, I mean, you know, Kiki just references the eight buck chuckle fucks. It's almost <laughs> like if you if yeah. you're if you're paying to be verified on, on yeah. Twitter right now, it's almost it's it's almost embarrassing. Yeah, uh, or, yeah I mean, honestly, that's, that's one way I to look. Like, it's a one way to look at it. But I, I look at it as kind of embarrassing. Yeah. So why is that good for you on the other platforms? So Instagram in particular, um, I mean, over, I'd say even the last couple years, like there have been so many fake bot accounts. I've seen so many people click a link by accident because one of their friends sent it to them, not knowing that they were hacked. Um, 
And basically the verification uh, program within that is just an extra layer of protection um, versus just having like second authentication. So that's what I really like about it. Um, that and, you know, if somebody goes and makes a fake account of me and say post some like really like offhand things that like I would never, you know, agree with, um, it's very clearly not me. Mm. People know that. I'm me. <laughs> Got it. Um, yeah. The Spectator Index uh, posting some interesting numbers uh, just a few days ago, and, and I'm curious for your take on this as well. The concern, of course, might be with any new venture that it's a flash in the pan. Uh, Threads had, uh, as of the 7th of July, shortly after launch, 49 million daily active users. Not too shabby for a brand new app. Seven days later, on the 14th of July, 23 million daily active users mm -hmm. the number yeah. slashed in half people were also spending i think in the beginning on average about 25 minutes on threads and mm -hmm. now it's eight minutes yeah. a day yeah. okay so it's, so what it's, does that tell you as an expert i think it's just too early for like for businesses like if you want to test it out test it out but i think it's too early to tell and we've seen facebook or meta try and do other products like um i think it was parse or beacon i forget what it was called but it was similar to snapchat and it failed um, and then they try, like they basically tried to copy TikTok, but like still can't steal the users away from TikTok. Um, so it's kind of like Meta keeps trying these things and we'll have to see if it's successful or not. What does that say about me in this show that uh, I didn't even mention TikTok in the first 28 minutes? <laughs> is that is that a th how, how do big? Do you use TikTok? Uh, we have people can follow Real Talk on TikTok. But and do I you love, use it? Uh, well, not per, like I do have an account. People are welcome to follow me, but they won't see anything there yet because quite frankly, I feel like I'm spread too thin. Yeah. But well, I'm, I'm really proud of our Real Talk TikTok. We call it Real Talk. T-O-K like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I think it's a, it's a really neat way to take like we'll take this hour um, that a lot of people are going to enjoy the full hour. But some people want to in 60 seconds or less or 40 right. seconds right. be like, what was the best moment? What was the biggest highlight? Wait, let me be clear, Ryan. Do you <laughs> surf TikTok? No. OK. Oh, I'm there all the time. Oh, I'm God. there, I'm the there constantly. Yeah. And yeah. I've never So we buried the lead. <laughs> we buried the lead. You're spending all your time on TikTok. What is it about TikTok? It. It's just, it's, the algorithm has you in its clutches. Yeah. Is it like you start scrolling and then all of a sudden it's 90 minutes later? Yeah. Well, and if you find that, if you find that niche, if you like enough of the videos that you you really like, then your feed is just. It's glorious. Everything you love. It's wonderful. In one place. Yeah. And it's just constant scrolling. And honestly, I love TikTok so much. Um, I joined the platform like many people did beginning of COVID, you know, yeah. like seeing everybody doing like the TikTok dances. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm going to feel this out. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny because I, when we had first moved to our new place, my dog went and dug a hole. My dog has never dug in its life and I just took a video of it and I was like, how funny would it be to put this on TikTok with some like ominous music and be like, oh, like my dog sniffing this area. And literally within 24 hours, it had like 5 million views. What? It's up to like 30 million at this point. It is still going and this is like two years later. Wow. And that's not monetized, right? No. Okay. Carly no. is popular on TikTok. Can confirm she appears on my for you page <laughs> and I'm like, this girl is from my city. I know her. <laughs> but I just I love TikTok because it's just like those things, just the most one off like wonderful internet culture type yeah. things just blow up and 
you never know. So all three of you are just raving about it. All I three love of you it. Hey, all four. I, I love it. All, you're big on TikTok yeah, too. But, I, but hey, but what about what about the Chinese and surveillance and, yeah. and loss of privacy it's and intellectual exactly property? It's exactly the same as other social media platforms. Yeah. Like you can't get away with, from it. And I think people, okay, <laughs> canceled. Um, people who complain about like, oh, my privacy, my data. It's like, okay, delete your phone. Throw your phone in the garbage. In the throw river? away your Air don't Miles card. Yeah. Don't use a credit card. Don't use a debit card. Like you don't want to be tracked. Don't go outside because there's cameras everywhere. Like just go live in the bush and yeah. have a garden and that's it. Okay. Legit. I mean, that, that actually sounds pretty amazing. You go live in the middle of nowhere. That sounds like Jaspo. Grow your own food. <laughs> My brother's been growing his own for 20 years, if you know what I mean. What? <laughs> I'll never forget what life was like before we worked with California Closets. And I'll, of course, always enjoy life after. My wife Carrie and I had organization problems. Everything was stacked on top of everything else. And man, oh man, it was tough to relax in our family space. But California Closets, after our free consultation, came up with a solution that was just perfect. And they're working in garages too. Do you have extension cords on top of spare tires? Have you lost your hockey skates or you just can't find anything you need when you need it? Why not make your garage work for you? They can get you started today at californiaclosets.ca. We're seeing more and more stories of fires and floods in the news. And of course, every one of those stories has tough implications. Canadians are going to be trying to get their lives back. And for a lot of Canadians, that means a restoration project at home or at work. Don't trust a big project like that to just anybody. Complete Care Restoration has a team of experienced and certified professionals working in fire and flood damage, mold and asbestos removal, plus other construction and renovation projects. We've worked with them and they've earned two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Remember Clubhouse that launched during the pandemic? Oh no. my gosh, yes. They're laying off 50% of their staff yeah. like in the last couple of months. It's like, what happened to that app? Like it blew up. Everyone was using it. Well, not everyone. Um, but yeah, it's just, it lost its Wasn't coolness. that the one you had to be like invited to or something or someone, people? It was, I think it was uh, App Store, like iTunes only or whatever. Oh, and yeah. And you just talked on it. Okay. I, and, you know, I think part of what's happened with threads too, if you don't, is uh, people expected to join threads and have it immediately be like Twitter. Yeah. And what people have seemed to forget is that Twitter wasn't great when we all first joined it in the beginning either. Like it took time to build the communities. It took time to figure out how we were going to use that platform to our advantage. The things I've seen on threads that I actually do really like is you define your experience on the platform by how you engage, how you interact. If you like a tweet from a troll, a, a post, or a thread, yeah. we don't call them tweets. <laughs> if you like something there, you're gonna get more of it. Yeah. If you engage with something there, you're going to get more of it. You control what's happening in your feed, and there's some people who don't, they're not crazy about having to put in that effort. Uh, what I also like is right now, the users on thread threads are taking control of the platform and moderating it themselves. And that's something that has been seriously lacking 
on Twitter. So if you're on threads and you start engaging, because there are some trolls in there. There are some far right wingers that have already transitioned over. That tangy lasagna person is there and heaven knows she causes, what's her name? Tommy, Tammy Lauren. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I just call her tangy lasagna. She's in there. And <laughs> Did you give her that name? Or yeah. Is the, is, I don't know, that's what I've just always stay up at night and just scribble these things. <laughs> you gotta make a t-shirt company. I yeah. I yeah. We need but to bring you on board. If, if you engage with her, you're going to get more of her. Yeah. But what you're also going to get is some high profile accounts that have already transitioned over yeah. telling you to cut that shit out. He's saying to you, look, are we going to repeat the same mistakes we made over on Twitter? Are we going to amplify the worst of the Internet? Are we going to, uh, in the name of the gotcha gang, re-quote these people, retweet these people and give them exposure to our own audiences? So it's fabulous to see users taking responsibility for keeping the room tidy. They're like, this is a new joint. We're going to keep it clean in here. Everybody's going to be cool. So it's a righteous vibe right now. Whether or not the righteous vibe can last. Yeah. I, do, I mean, it's social media. I do have to say, though, it's really interesting to me just from, you know, a standpoint of what I do for my work. Um, it, just the transfer over of the audience from Instagram. I'm seeing folks who have literally never been on Twitter. Yeah. Period. <laughs> um, loving threads. And I'm like, guys, where have you been? Like, do you know Twitter? <laughs> um, but they love it. And now they're within that type of yeah. community. And I, like for me personally, obviously it's dependent on what you like and what you post and what you interact with. But for me, it's a good mix between uh, Twitter, Instagram, and kind of Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Or like old yes, school very Tumblr. much. Um, and I'm finding it's a lot of like very like content, like visual based Um, at least on my end currently. And people are just having fun. Um, It's really refreshing. You know, some days, and I'm sure you both can relate to this, being on Twitter can be so exhausting just scrolling through there, Um, especially over the last few years. It's just like, you know, there's messages that need to be put out there for sure. But man, there is just some draining stuff, especially with how the algorithm is working right now on there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and like like yeah. Kiki said, too, with with accounts, you know, some dubious ones, some nefarious ones being rewarded yes. uh, financially for what they're tweeting. I mean, Twitter has, has been a home for I mean, I mean you, you kind of like take the good with the bad in a sense. And the, mm-hmm. I don't believe that tech is inherently bad it's the application of the tech is the atomic right. is the atomic bomb inherently bad no uh is the use of it the application of it problematic in many circumstances if not most obviously yeah. right yeah. i mean kind of a weird example but but there you go so i mean you want to talk about conspiracy theories you want to talk about where it's gone since you know probably you know 2016 but even before with trump being elected as president of the united states um i mean geez his social media journey pretty interesting as well with truth social you know he's still sort of you know, refusing. He was playing it cool with Twitter, not coming back after he was banned under previous ownership. But but the conspiracy theories that we see uh, can fester and spread quickly on Twitter, uh, which which brings me to the next point. I wanted to put this in front of you all. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., RFK Jr. yesterday uh, or this week has been has been testifying Republicans. I mean, the guy wants to be the, the Democratic nominee for president. Right. Um he wants to represent the Democrats. He wants to run against Trump. And, and a lot of people are really cynical about that and, and questioning the motivation because it just feels like a weird fit. Right. The Republicans are the ones that invited him to testify before Congress this week about 
supposed censorship on social media. But if you were watching those proceedings, you know that it went well beyond that. Accusations of his past and anti-Semitic comments, his insistence that he's, quote, never said anything racist or anti-Semitic even once in his life. Let me tee this up and we're going to bring this back local in just a second. But here's RFK Jr. on the record talking about COVID-19 and who it's bioengineered to target. COVID-19 is targeted to attack uh, Caucasians and, uh, and, uh, and uh, black people. The people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and, uh, and Chinese. Okay, so the Jews and the Chinese are escaping the bio-targeted COVID-19. <laughs> this didn't sit well. With a lot of the uh, representatives that were participating in these committee hearings, and that includes a congressman out of Virginia, Jerry Connolly, a Democrat and a big fan of the Kennedy name, as we heard yesterday, scathing words. And no matter what you may think, Mr. Kennedy, and I revere your name, you're not here to propound your case for censorship. You are here for cynical reasons to be used politically by that side of the aisle to embarrass the current president of the United States. And you're an enabler in that effort today. And it brings shame on a story name that I revere. I began my political interest with your father. And it makes me profoundly sad to see where we have descended today in this hearing. I yield the balance of my time. Yields the balance of his time. Strong words. So here, here's why this is relevant today on a prairie-based podcast talking about social media. As RFK Jr. is trending yesterday for all the wrong reasons, if you're hoping that RFK Jr. is going to beat out the current president of the United States for the Democratic nomination, yesterday was probably not a great day if you're looking at why he was trending. But there's one tweet seeing a lot of action from Rob Anderson. He's a former Alberta MLA with the Wild Rose Party, and he's currently the executive director of Premier Daniel Smith's office. He tweeted yesterday profoundly powerful words from Democrat RFK Jr. for politicians and their teams of all stripes to consider regarding censorship and cancel culture. Regardless of his political views, it's hard not to cheer for this man. He seems to possess great character. Jesus. Now, obviously, the NDP are having a field day with this. Uh, Let's talk about the potential consequences of this. Let's talk about the pros and cons and why the executive director of a premier's office might choose to take this opportunity to tweet that. What's your first impression? Well, uh, I mean character are we really going to mention rob anderson and character in the same sentence rob roomba anderson who continually crossed the floor and kept sucking that's why i like to call him a roomba (laughs) the man's got the man's got like no place to be speaking about character the truth of the matter is that uh rfk jr is batshit he's batshit and he's the worst kind of batshit batshit because Unlike a lot of the, uh, the conspiracy theory opportunists that we've seen arise over the last, I'd say, good six to seven years is when we've really seen an explosion of this, especially since uh, 2016 and the Trump, the beginning of the Trump days. Um, RFK Jr. believes his own shit. 
and that's what I find most concerning. He's not, he's he's not one of these opportunists like, um, well, I mean, I won't say his name, but the one who runs a media outlet that isn't really a media outlet. Oh, go and ahead. You're talking about Ezra Levant. Yeah, I I really think Levant's an opportunist. I don't think Levant believes that half is the, the least shit. controversial thing you've ever said. Yeah, I, I don't think he believes half the shit that he pushes out there. But he knows how to capture an audience and he knows how to play an audience. RFK Jr. believes his shit. And that's very concerning to me. So as much as I'm, I'm happy to see him called out, it, it has been distressing to watch these hearings and to realize that so many Republicans know that the man is a little bit outside of his mind, but they don't care. So let me ask you this, Beverly, because you, you announced, you let people know your number one skill set is helping businesses and let's say organizations, maybe governments, not suck on social media. For the executive director of the premier's office, was this actually an astute move yesterday? Because he, he doesn't need to appeal to everybody. Rob Anderson's not trying to change the mind of NDP supporters right. right now. He's trying to make sure that their base, the conservative base, is strongly supporting the premier. Was it actually a wise move? It's funny because I've actually trained like polit- like local politicians on social media um and i would <laughs> that guy needs some training i don't follow <laughs> politics so i ignorantly don't know who that person is um but yeah i think i feel like it's just like once you're in a certain position you can say whatever the fuck you want and people will either love you or you hate or they hate you but and I feel like there's also like, oh, there's an opportunity here to troll people. Let me be a troll. But also, I'm glad that I'm not going to get COVID because I'm not white or black. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Oh, you really dodged the bullet. I know. You know, we need we need more people talking about how life has been especially difficult for white people over the last while. That, that, that maybe that'll be our next Friday roundtable. Johnny, what do you think? I don't know. Maybe we'd advise against uh, that. And that idea, hurt my that, feels. That, that idea, hurt my white lady feels. It didn't, make it, it didn't make it past the cutting room floor. Could it have been actually a smart move? I mean, is the executive director of the premier's office putting this out? I mean, a lot, the, the NDP is appalled by this, but he doesn't give a shit about what the NDP thinks. To be honest, it's just it comes back to, you know, these folks have influence and that's dangerous. They don't. I think a lot of them really, truly don't understand, like the responsibility and the accountability that they have to hold within that kind of position. You know, I feel like you're. They can go online, say what they want to say, and then they just, they sit there because they think it's okay. And then you have these folks who, you know, they'll have these ideas in the back of their head, but they don't, you know, vocalize them. And then, you know, it just makes it okay for people to say things that are very clearly like racist, um, very clearly just completely not Okay. Science denialism. Yes. The, yes. The entire mess. I think yes. it's important too that we we need to keep in mind that operatives like Rob Anderson and Rob Anderson is a political operative. Yeah. Operatives at his level know how to make the other side look bad and are willing to look a little bit foolish to achieve that goal. Sure. So uh, by tweeting something like that, well now the NDP is all riled up and losing their shit. Mm-hmm. And that's all we're gonna see for a couple days. I think it's, it's not only about um, the person pushing the misinformation or the person lauding uh, the, the racism, 
it's about how the rest of us react to it. 100%. And a lot of the reaction is not constructive. It's just toxic. And then it's people screaming at each other, which has become a game. It's mm-hmm. like it's the game we all play now online where we fight with each other in, instead of trying to have conversations. Yeah, like taking a step back and just actually thinking before you yeah. start or head into a conversation, um, you know, and... I mean, like I used to be like very much um, within my advocacy with eating disorders and anti-diet culture, which I still am. Um, But even then, like I just, I had to take a break and I had to take a step back from certain things because you can't fight all battles. And that's the thing. I think a lot of people just have this knee jerk reaction to those things instead of actually like taking the time to think about what they want to say and if they're gonna put that energy into it and give them that spotlight. Yeah. Oh, the gotcha yeah. gang gets filed up. Yeah. The, fired up. The gotcha gang is always going to be there uh, waiting for the chance to prove how much better they are, to yeah. to prove how much more progressive they are. But there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, am I tweeting this to look good? Am I amplifying this because we need to have a discussion about it? Or am I doing it so I get pats on the back for calling it out? Right. Yes. Yeah. And don't read the comments. Never oh. read the oh. bottom half of the internet. Stay out of the Save bottom half of the internet. Save your mental health. And there's no, like for me, I for the longest time I would read comments and then I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to write something back to them. And now it's just like, you're so dumb. Just mm. And then I just <laughs> scroll on it. past. Not I'm like, worth not worth my mental health. Do you want to be part of Canada's green movement? Do you want to be part of the move toward net zero? Kubi Renewable Energy is Western Canada's busiest solar installer and right now they're hiring they're looking for those with tickets and they're looking for apprentices too kubi energy is young they're growing and they're reshaping the energy portfolio in canada you can check out some badass projects that they've been working on and apply to work there by visiting kubienergy.ca Hey, dog and cat lovers living in Calgary, Edmonton, or Central Alberta, I want you to know about a special for the month of August from our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. All the way through to August 31st, take 14 bucks off turkey raw pet food, the 40 pound boxes using the discount code August 2023 at checkout. And make sure you check out their supplements as well. We've got our lab Monroe taking the lion's mane mushroom extract. It's great for dogs, dogs that are dealing with obesity, dogs that are senior dogs, or dogs that are like our precious Monroe, experiencing anxiety. You can learn more by checking out the blog link at granddog.ca. The rebrand from Twitter to X has been an interesting one. Some people think that it's frivolous. Some people think it's brilliant and long-sighted. We wanted to get into the science of branding and rebranding. That's why we asked Ashley Harrigan to join us from New York City, Josh Dunford to join us from Vancouver in this very informative Real Talk Roundtable. I think that maybe we should start, uh, Josh, and thank you for waking up early on the West Coast to join us. Uh, Why why don't we start with with a a differentiation between brand and logo? Uh, A lot of people, when Elon Musk made the announcement, were were concerned that that blue bird was going to disappear. Now, that's the logo. But the brand is bigger than that, right, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I think it's instructive and brand is a bit of an esoteric topic uh, beyond just the idea of brand itself. There's all these other terms like brand identity, brand image, brand positioning, personality, brand equity. You hear all these kind of terms. And so it's a confusing topic for sure. And, you know, uh, just to, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying, I think one of the ways that's ni- or a nice way to think about it is to think about a brand as a person. And it's a good way to kind of put that into context. So an organization or an entity as a person, <clears throat> what is their brand? Well, the brand is your experience with that, that organization. It's, it's the, it's, it's the experience that you have with their products and with the way that they present themselves. But it's also the way, you know, going back to this person analogy, it's a way that person thinks and who they are inside and what their vision is and what they're, what they're bringing forward. So it's really about kind of that lived experience with the company and the entity. And, and that shows up in, in the way that they're, the way they write and the way they talk and the way they look. And so all of those, graphic identity elements, which include the logo is, is the way that they're being presented visually. So brand kind of encapsulates all of that. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and then graphic identity, I would say is really about that visual side. So in the case of X, we're looking at a kind of mysterious logo and name that's come out of, you know, somewhere, but we don't really know a whole lot about it, which is part of the reason why it feels so, uh, kind of confusing, I think. Yeah, it does feel confusing because it feels like it came out of nowhere and it feels like there was nothing particularly wrong with the Twitter brand. But but then again, what do I know? Um, Ashley, it's almost like there's two brands colliding here in a way, right? Because Twitter's a brand, but Elon Musk is definitely a brand, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Elon is kind of his own entity in himself, right? Like he absolutely is the face of, you know, what was formerly Twitter, now known as X. And I know there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of news, there's a lot of skepticism around it. Um, you know, people thought that Twitter would break, right, when Elon first took it over. So there's been a lot of conversation about it for, you know, quite a while now. And, um, you know, for Elon, I think a lot of people are kind of thrown off by the term X, but it really is full circle for him. So uh, what a lot of people forget is that he's actually, um, you know, founded a co-founder of PayPal, which started off as X.com. He took X.com back over, you know, after kind of losing the rights to it. Um, X.com now kind of redirects Twitter. Um, he has, you know, the Tesla Model X. He has SpaceX. So for him, this is very on brand and it, it actually doesn't surprise me in the least. Is, is the X rebrand different than most? Would you say, Ashley? Yeah, I mean, when we look at rebrands, what we see is that most companies tend to want to have some form of nostalgia, some form of like tying to their former, tying to their past, some sort of rooted system. But for him, I mean, Elon has literally said that he's going to take like a a blowtorch to the bird outside of the Twitter, you know, now X headquarters. So he's completely starting over and, you know, a rebrand to this magnitude in my opinion, has never been done before. This is completely shedding the old and starting over with the new. So, you know, a lot of people ask, is it, is it going to work? Is it going to be successful? And I think, you know, it's too early to tell, but it's definitely one that, you know, at least I'm keeping my eye on. And I think if history tells us anything, 
definitely going to be one to watch. Huh. Josh, I was thinking like in, in, in my brief introductory thoughts, talking about like when when a brand becomes a verb and you think like when someone says I'm going to Google something. Right. And Twitter's kind of like that in a way. Right. I'm going to tweet or I'm going to retweet. Um, I think of someone that wants to go jet skiing like Sea-Doo doesn't love that people call it jet skiing. But would it be brand suicide or business suicide for jet ski to rebrand for Google. I mean, everyone's talking about Google and Alphabet. When your brand becomes a verb, is it a riskier rebrand, Josh? I I mean, there's a lot of equity in a in a when there's a quality like that, like Kleenex or you know for facial tissues or you know there's lots of examples. So yeah, I mean, he's certainly uh, Elon in this case. Elon Musk in this case is is turfing quite a bit of what most people would consider to be some kind of equity. Um, actually, you probably agree, I think, but, uh, and so we all wonder why, you know, why would someone do this? But, you know, if you, we've heard a bit about some vision for a kind of a future thing that's much bigger, you know, in this kind of like super app. And, and, and so, yeah, I guess it's a, it's the, it's a place to make news and maybe a very important place to make news, the actual platform itself. And so, why not uh why not do something crazy like this because we're all talking about it and and uh and so you may keep and retain and and build buzz and and there's probably some advantages there although it it remains a bit hard to see i think at this point um because we don't really know the full vision it's just this sort of little bit of an idea or some hints about the future so i think it's kind of a wait and see um but yeah turfing like a known verb about tweeting you know it seems it seems insane but uh it uh yeah what remains to be seen where 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 he's going to go with this yeah i guess i mean ashley what's the biggest risk that elon runs here yeah i mean i would agree with josh it's just the overarching brand equity um i think it's probably one of the most well-known brands on the planet i think people inherently will still call it twitter for a while until it's you know kind of fully made its mark but i think What's interesting is that, you know, Elon has stated that, you know, tweeting and Twitter made sense at, you know, the beginning of the organization's kind of idea when you could have, you know, a character limit to talk to people. And now it's so much more than that. You know, like Josh said, it's going to be kind of the super app and then everything app. Some people have said it's like the WeChat um, for the West. Uh, so, you know, I think his vision is that it's going to be more than just tweeting. You can, you know, conduct your financial world online. Maybe this is something that a lot of small businesses are going to adapt. And Twitter and tweeting wouldn't really make sense for, you know, the business model and the organization as a whole. So in that aspect, um, you know, I think he's not afraid to live in the now and kind of look futuristically. So, you know, depending on his vision, I think it's I think it's a smart move. Uh, Ken is in our live chat. He says, this is one of the worst rebrandings I've seen since Prince went to the symbol. Um, I don't I don't actually know that Prince has moved to the symbol. The artist formerly known as Prince was so bad because he was just from from a talent level, from an everything level. Prince is so neck. I'm a huge Prince fan. He's so next level that I'm not convinced that one was a mistake because like Josh said, um, it just had everybody talking about him again. Ashley, do you think that Prince made a mistake? Um, I'm I'm originally from Minnesota, uh, actually, oh. uh, where Prince, you know, his stomping grounds are. So I I don't think he made a mistake. I think it kind of became symbolic with who he was, but I think he was another person who just was his own brand. Um, and you know, 
in, in Minneapolis and Minnesota, they would have kind of his logo and his, you know, kind of projected on the sidewalks and all these types of things. So I don't think you made a mistake. No, I disagree with that. Okay, Ashley, what is one of the worst rebrands you've ever seen in your life? Um, this is prior to my lifetime, but I do a lot of reading, you know, being in the industry. And um, I know maybe many of our listeners would be familiar with kind of the the Coke and Pepsi kind of wars back in the 1980s. I know there's even been some Netflix commentary on it, a little bit of a documentary there. Um, but I think the new Coke was probably one of the worst flops that at least I have read up on. Um, it was so bad that, you know, they had tens of thousands of people kind of writing in that they were you know, abandoning Coke. Um, at that time, you know, Coke and Pepsi were kind of a 50-50 split, right? Like some people love Pepsi and some people love Coke and they kind of had this head-to-head relationship. Um, and when Coke rebranded to new Coke and they kind of changed their formula, um, Pepsi actually celebrated. They gave their employees the day off. They took out a full page ad in the in the New York Times, I think it was, saying that um, the other guy just blinked. Uh, it was very bad. Um, people were pouring it down cons- uh, sewers. They're loyal consumers. You know, I think they turned their back to them and they were trying to cater to those who loved Pepsi by kind of changing their formula and calling it New Coke. Um, I think the rebrand lasted around 80 days, 79 days. And now we have Coca-Cola Classic. Oh, my gosh. So so you're the you're the creative director at Zag. If 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 a right. company at, with the magnitude of Coke like I never, I won't go too deep down this storytelling, but I had one of the highlights of my career. I went for three weeks to shoot a miniseries in the Horn of Africa, in Ethiopia, and in in one of the the the, the poorest parts of the world. Fascinating, I mean, just amazing to be there. Heartbreaking to be there. And you're driving through these villages that don't have running water. You're driving through villages where women are not allowed to own property and girls aren't allowed to go to school. And 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 traditions and problems and tribal warfare is still happening from thousands of years ago. And there's a co- coca-cola billboard like honestly that that to me i'll never forget that for the rest of my life it's one of the most globally pervasive brands i've ever seen for a brand that big to walk back a rebrand in less than three months i mean Mm -hmm. that that's got to be people are losing their jobs over that Absolutely. And the money behind it and the effort. I mean, Josh and I both know being in the industry, the effort that it takes to rebrand something as simple as Papa John's, you know, they dropped their apostrophe um, when they rebranded. And even that was a a big, big undertaking. So, yeah, I agree to completely walk it back. Uh, There were some mistakes made. Wow. Josh, what's is there a disastrous rebrand that's front of mind for you? Do you think of one in particular? Well, a little closer to home here in Canada, uh, I actually think back to MEC and Mount Akumik, uh Co-op. They are purchased by private equity and they, you know, they have this storied kind of tradition of, of a great, a great first party product line for themselves, as well as bringing this uh, place to bring the sort of best of kind of outdoor equipment together for people. And you as a co-op, you're kind of part of it. And so private equity kind of, they made it, they, they bought this out kind of through private equity and, uh, and then they promptly rebranded to this kind of faceless little square with just a basic kind of MEC in there. And they dropped all semblance of this kind of previous iconic brand of with these mountains and this sort of typography attached to it. And you can see they've since gone back and, and actually like Coke, they, you know, back backpedaled fairly quickly. And, uh, uh, but it was, it was tragic, I think. And, and, and it would also, 
maybe the brand was a good in a way that it did reflect kind of what they were doing with the organization as well. They dropped a lot of their first party products. They became more of just a generic retailer of a bunch of different brands and uh, that they sold in store. And so they yeah, had exactly. And then they came back and uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, then they came back and brought them out and back. But in some ways, the, the you know, it took them about a year to get there damage was done a little bit. And, uh, and so, you know, they, they went down a road and, and none of the businesses suffered and they have brought back some first party products. And, uh, so in a way that was a bit of a kind of a local disaster, if you will, but other, other brands that kind of are out there were, you know, missteps, at least on the logo and graphic identity side, uh, you know, best Western sort of threw away a really kind of strong heritage brand that people had a lot of respect for, and they created this visual because part of that graphic identity of a brand is is the way that the the typography or the the visuals and or the illustration style communicate about a tone and, and try to reflect that those values that are inside. And so, you know, Best Western had like a classic kind of mark that was a bit more refined, and the typography was a little more elegant. And then they kind of moved to this sort of faceless round uh, kind of BW. Yeah, exactly. It's up there on screen. It, it, it and this sort of they're late to this trend and trendy it was with this kind of three-dimensional sort of button look that everybody was doing at the time so you kind of, you feel like the what you remember of best western as in terms of their service and 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 level of quality kind of got erased a bit and they became a bit more faceless and 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 they've kept it uh and maybe arguably it is a reflection of the way the experience is at the best Western now, but uh, those, those visuals are uh, they're instructive to us about how we perceive a, a company and what they're offering and what they would, you know, what you can expect when you go and, and, and visit them or, or use the services or meet the people. Josh, I'm experiencing, um, I'm experiencing yeah. that as we speak, like as Johnny puts up those best Western logos and I'm looking at what you describe as the heritage one. And Ashley, I feel like you are, too, because you're nodding your head. I'm I'm thinking mm-hmm. of specific memories with my family at that hotel. I'm thinking of that hotel in specific cities that we visited where I stayed there. Like we connect with brands. I have Ashley. I don't even. this is gonna make you laugh maybe, but I, I don't know why I have a connection to the branding on Colgate. I think that the, I don't like the branding on crest and I have no idea why it doesn't make any sense. It's because I've always just used Colgate. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, I, I haven't thought about this before, you know, or recently, I guess, but there are a lot of loyalties, even in small transactional things like that right so like toothpaste colgate versus crest but you know you find that once people kind of pick something it's usually based on how they make how a brand offers to make them feel or how it's going to make them look or you know it's a lot deeper than just the logo it's a lot deeper than just the colors um and i think you know that's where we talk about brand experience and then how people kind of um you know interact with the brand how brands treat their people brand loyalty all those things tie into kind of why we're choosing uh different brands like that i don't necessarily have an opinion of colgate over crest to be honest i think i'm more of a crest girl but Ah. i could not tell you why to be honest (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean i have i I can't tell you why either it makes zero sense all i know is i've always used the one and and i and i and i and i I just wouldn't buy crest and it might be a way better toothpaste i have no idea it's funny i mean we're so susceptible it is we're so susceptible to marketing right yeah yep it's absolutely subliminal and you know i think 
and Josh would probably agree, in this industry, we study how many messages and opinions and advertisements and people are completely inundated with. And eventually your mind just starts to suppress it. It pushes it down. You kind of pick what you put at the top of your brain and you tend to stick to those things unless something major happens that causes people to think twice about, am I going to be loyal to this brand? You know, a lot of that has been happening in the news about, you know, maybe making certain decisions over others, what they align themselves with, that all kind of factors into, you know, the, the choices that we make every single day. Yeah, um, I'm getting fair criticism here on the live chat from Giants for Life, who says that I need to live a little and try brushing my teeth with Crest. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree. Maybe I'll go wild uh, this weekend and I'll even brush with Arm and Hammer. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll That's see the powerful Sensodyme. stuff. Yep. <laughs> Sensodyme, you know, maybe. Um, uh, Ken follows up, by the way. I don't know if Ken works in branding. He's been talking a lot about brands in our live chat. He says Costco. He says there's a brilliant brand. They're associated with being closed on holidays, good pay for employees, cheap hot dogs, consistent margins, and a consistent store experience large muffins and large muffins (laughs) okay good uh what what do you make of what john of what uh, ken says there josh with the costco brand he's not talking about the logo right he's talking about the brand and what it represents yeah Yeah, absolutely and if even if you hear a story about costco and their leadership and how they like the the links they go to to keep the price of the rotisserie chicken down to 7.99 you know or 5.99 in in the u.s uh they are fighting for you the consumer to bring you as much value as possible and and then even on even from the brand perception like uh on the on the company side i've known brands that have brought products into costco and they they they're a very very tough negotiator for pricing and they push people's prices down you can't get your product in there unless you really just scrape your margins down to a very low amount and so you you really get this feeling yeah they're 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 there to create value for me they're not spending any money in these warehouses that are not appointed in a way to uh you know feel comfortable or feel like a best western they 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 tend to uh they they tend to you just know they're on your side in terms of value and that's a great position to have and people are willing to pay those membership fees yearly to be a part of that and and enjoy those savings and you feel like someone's in your court with that brand so i absolutely agree um we're talking to if you're just tuning in live streaming this uh real talk roundtable on the mixler live streaming audio app presented by california closets we're talking to uh creative director from zag uh ashley harrigan is joining us from new york uh josh dunford joining us from vancouver he's the founder of burn kit um i want to make sure there's no conflict of interest here i didn't put this one in front of either of you ahead of time uh, neither of you worked on the edmonton elks rebrand did you no, no, okay. I don't want to put you in a tough spot. Are either of you familiar enough to talk a little bit about it? Uh, Gabe has a question here in the live chat, and uh, he says, well, you know, what about the Elks rebrand? He says they totally ignored their fan base. Uh, by that, he means season ticket holders. Um, I don't know if I 100% agree with Gabe on them ignoring their fan base. The franchise was facing a lot of pressure. I don't, I don't think I need to tell the two of you uh, in so many ways as the Cleveland Indians, <laughs> the Washington Redskins, a lot of teams mm-hmm. that have decided to change their names and and update them based on pressure and I think for, for obvious reasons um, and this and this is a brand evolution um, some have been more subtle than others 
I thought, and I'm not an expert, um, I'm just a civilian. I thought that the Elks rebrand was brilliant. I thought that they they didn't steer too far away from their font, from their colors, from Esks to Elks. They kept it at four letters. I thought I think that the new logo looks really good. I think that small stuff, maybe you guys wrinkle your noses or roll your eyes at this, but even stuff like the, the new mascot is really good. Um, but for whatever reason, and maybe part of it, like Gabe says, maybe part of it is the rebrand. Maybe part of it is the fact that they haven't won a home game in four years. Um, but but there's like there's 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 a ten percent of the fans in the stands that there used to be when they were winning, you know, five Grey Cups in a row. Um, Ashley, do you see this rebrand as a success? Do you see it as a failure? What are your thoughts on the Edmonton Elks? Yeah, I mean, my 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 business answer would be that if sales are down, then maybe it was a mistake. Um, you know, I think you know, at the end of the day. The objective of any business is to make money. Uh, so if, you know, if they're down in sales, whether or not it's because of the team itself, or maybe some people do feel like they kind of, um, is something that they loved and treasured and had known for a really long time was kind of abandoned, maybe due to issues that they didn't necessarily agree with, um, can, can cause people to leave. I mean, you know, we're talking about press versus Colgate. You, you can't compare the two, but from like, a consumer um, behavior perspective, if a brand walks away from who they are and the consumer feels like you are leaving me behind, whether it's toothpaste or football, people will leave you. That's just a fact of branding and that's a fact of business. So, Josh, what do you do if you're advising the, the Edmonton football team um, that at the time, let's say, is named the Eskimos? And you've got people in northern Canada and other parts of the world saying um, indigenous communities don't appreciate this. Uh, this this is something that we find offensive. We don't believe that team names that teams should be named after people groups. Um, there's there's evidence that other sports franchises are moving away from this. But then and this is all true. This is all based in reality. You have people from other northern communities, indigenous people saying and the Elks, the Eskimos at the time had them on the record saying, we don't have a problem with it. You know, they're wearing their Edmonton Eskimos hats and jackets. They go, we don't have a problem with it. They could they could find those voices. And the fan base, as far as I understand it, was like Gabe said in the chat, more in favor of keeping the name than it mm-hmm. was in changing the name. So you've got a liability because the criticism is never going to go away until you change it. But at the same time, you have a loyal fan base where the majority of them, let's say, doesn't want to change the name. Josh, what would be your advice to the board at that football team? Oh, boy. I mean, I would I have some thoughts around just the visuals themselves. But in terms of navigating those waters, it's generally speaking, you've got a directive that's coming from somewhere to make a change. And uh, and those decisions are made by leadership. And and so there's a choice to there's there's a there's a plan to make a change and so how do you navigate that change most successfully well uh graphic identity or these logos or even naming is you know it's a various subjective waters at some level there's there's craft and and people who know what they're doing that can actually shape it in a great way to be successful but uh you know designed by committee is generally never great and if the committee is the entire pool of season ticket holders you generally come away with something that's not going to be as as great. But all that to say, the the typography is really strong, um, and the 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 new look is is much more professional and sharp. But you know, uh, sports fans are incredibly 
you know, passionate about the teams that they support. And so it's a tough position. Like you're going to, you're going to upsell people at every turn. They don't like any change at all. I mean, think about Coke going from the little bit more of the raisin flavor to a little bit more of the Pepsi cherry flavor and pushing mm-hmm. to new Coke and how quickly they ran back and ran away from that. It's people's nostalgia and what they're used to. They don't like change. They don't appreciate change. So I guess my advice to the leadership would be, this is a tough change. And the, if you can engage your, uh, if you can engage your fans in the process and try to elicit, uh, you know, feedback and input. And if people feel like they're, uh, at least given a chance to express their opinion and share what they want, that's going to be, that's going to soften the blow, uh, for the change that's inevitably inevitably going to happen. But, uh, ultimately people, will have their specific opinion about a matter. And then if the choice doesn't go the way they want it to go, they're not going to feel great about it. And so it will feel like a, a, but, but back to branding, you know, like the performance of the team is kind of is essential to that. And that's who they are. And so if they're not playing well and not doing well and the, and the fans are unhappy with the team's performance, uh, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna be maybe a bigger factor on the acceptance of the new brand. Yeah, I mean, I'll guarantee and, you this much. If, if, yeah. if the Edmonton Elks win a Grey Cup, nobody's going to care that they're not called the Edmonton Eskimos. Put it that way, right? I think yeah, that's I probably that safe jersey, to say. Yeah. Um, I should yeah. have asked Rachel Notley this. Lauren makes a great comment. Notley joined us yesterday on the show. Lauren says the Alberta NDP has to rebrand uh, so they're not associated with the federal party, the federal NDP, which which hurts them in Alberta, to be sure. It doesn't matter if you're looking to show up at a birthday or an anniversary, some sort of other party, or heck, maybe it's just a regular day that could use a little touch of something special. No matter the occasion, enjoy layers of celebration with a DQ cake. A DQ cake from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park makes any occasion a happy occasion. You can visit them at Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, or along Baseline Road. Pick up a cake from one of their freezers or order one custom from the Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Everybody's talking about the cost of living these days, and we know one of the biggest expenditures for families is groceries. Friesen Brothers has their flyer, the Family Essentials flyer, ready for you to check out right now at Friesen.com. Friesen Brothers, family-owned, understands what it's like. You want to put great food on the family dinner table, but you're watching your bottom line too. Check out Easy Family Meal Solutions right now. The Family Essentials flyers at Friesen.com. My wife Carrie and I are getting even closer to unveiling the finished product. Our journey with Eden Landscaping has been such an exciting one, one that we dreamed of for a long time. Going through that planning process with Mike and his team has been a total delight, and I was thrilled to see them work within our budget. We're just like any other family there. We had a vision, and they have brought it through to completion. They have brought our backyard to life, and they can do the same for you. Learn more about Eden Landscaping today at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Josh Dunford joining us from Vancouver, where he leads a team at Burn Kit. And uh, Ashley Harrigan's joining us from New York, where she's the creative director for Zag. Ashley, I wanted to give you a couple minutes to think about it. When you think of a rebrand that was a huge success, is there one that immediately comes to mind? Yeah, so I have kids, um, so I've... I've done some research into Lego uh, just because I was interested in, you know, the company's history. And what I actually didn't realize is that the that organization was actually on the brink of bankruptcy uh, back in the early 2000s. They had declining sales. They had, um, you know, increased competition from digital entertainment, things that were kind of coming into play in the early 2000s now that are a part of everyday life. Um, they had kind of diversified their brand focus all over the place, clothing, jewelry, anything you could think of. And they were kind of, burning themselves out. They, they couldn't survive. And so I think what, you know, whether or not you want to call it a rebrand, and I would actually argue that there's kind of different levels of what we would consider a rebrand, right? Like it's not always kind of changing a logo, uh, but they went back to their basics, right? Like they respected what made them great. They went back to the blocks. They got rid of the clutter. They got rid of the junk. They looked at their markets. They, they, they engaged children to actually help them kind of formulate some of their ideas. They let kids kind of, you know, they have contests and let kids submit different things that they think would be cool to see. They had the Lego movie. Um, so when I think of Lego, and sometimes when I talk about brands that have done this successfully, it's about playing chords, not multiple keys if you're at a piano, right? So it's building yourself up versus kind of spreading yourself too thin across all these different keys that don't kind of make beautiful music. Josh, is there a brand, a rebrand that really worked well, you think? Well, I do like the classics, um, I have to admit. And uh, so a lot of, uh, you know, Paul Rand's work, not not Rand Paul, Paul Rand, the famous uh, graphic designer. And uh, certainly his classic logos are just fantastic. Also in Landor, a FedEx is, is just been one of those marks that uh, from a brand kind of point of view, um, I've always kind of spoken to me and, and from a visual and also, just a, a uh, just the way that the company presents itself. FedEx is, you know, they've got this echelon. They occupy this echelon of the kind of premium delivery uh, service, and they, they they get your package where you need it to go. And uh, so, I, I love those. Those are uh, those are strong brands. Um, uh, also, I I do love your ad reads, Ryan. It's always great to. I like listening to the ad reads. They're they're always excellent. So well, thanks, man. We, we try to we try to infuse a little. Uh... You know, if it's going to be called real talk, the ad reads should be real. And uh, and we want our audience members to know that there's no bullshit, basically, in our partnerships. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and and that's part of our brand. Right. Like, Absolutely. you know, brands need to be able to weather a storm and they can gain, gain credibility and, and, and build a following. And, and that's something that's not lost on us. Uh, at all yeah. um, you talk about like big logos like I don't know if, if if this is kind of a question pretty difficult to answer I'd say what what is the best logo or what's the biggest logo in the world um, I mean it's all subjective I guess maybe we look at revenue or we look at share price but I think of like Nike uh, we mentioned Coca-Cola like Apple um, you know is, is there one of those Ashley that you think rises above the rest as one where they just absolutely I mean Johnny's putting up for those watching on YouTube right now the Apple logo that that's one right. of the, I mean, that's just an absolute classic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I hate to, uh, you know, be a traditionalist and kind of use all those common examples, but they're the best for a reason, right? Like Nike and Apple are two that absolutely come to mind. I mean, Apple specifically, uh, we saw the logo there on the left on the screen, but um, a lot of people don't realize that that was actually the the original logo. It was Sir Isaac Newton under underneath an apple tree, kind of taking a bite out of an apple. And I think that lasted maybe about a year uh, before Apple decided that they actually wanted their logo to kind of represent one of their core values being simplicity. So you can see it's evolved over the years. Of course, we had the rainbow, it's been black, it's been kind of that titanium. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it is completely symbolic for who they are. And it is to date, I think, one of the strongest brands out there, along with Nike, of course, too, uh, which kind of represents, I think it's from um, the Nike or from the goddess um, of victory, Nike. So it's, it's, you know, they make sense and they tie back to something. And I think that's what brands have to remember um, is that it has to stand for something and you have to keep it consistent. So when I talk about some of these legacy brands, it's like, yeah, they're great. But had they not been consistent with it, had they not stuck to it, had they not had good brand standards, had they not been, mm-hmm. um, you know, watching how it came to life across every single metric, every single, you know, media, it, it you, who knows? It might not be one of the greats, but it's about consistency being key and getting into the minds of consumers and having that repetitive feedback loop in their mind. So yeah, there's some of the greats, but I think there's a lot of things that kind of play into that. Yeah. A shout out to Carolyn Davidson, who was at the time a graphic design student at Portland State University. Um, And as the story famously goes, uh, Phil Knight asked her design to design a logo for at that time his new shoe company uh, she billed him for 17 and a half hours of work in designing the right. nike swoosh and was paid 35 dollars right. for it right um unbelievable highway robbery yes. highway robbery i mean uh, yeah you, you could argue that 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 logo has earned nike uh probably maybe 10 times 35 billion but but i digress uh i want to ask both of you this josh your your very first thoughts uh does hockey canada all things considered, need a rebrand. I think from a yeah, abs- from the point of view of uh, uh, of changing their values and communicating that to all the people that are part of the organization and and interact with the organization and sharing that through written copy and 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 through leadership change and 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 what they're trying to do, I, I believe. Is is make those changes and then communicate those to their audiences. I think that from a brand point of view on that side, absolutely. From a graphic identity, I don't think it's. And Ashley, you were touching on this earlier. It's not really that wouldn't be first on my list. Uh, uh, sure, they could update it, but it's more about the organization's values and the approach that they're taking and how they're correcting uh, and making adjustments to the way that they do the work they do. Uh, that's probably the first and foremost piece and. And uh, and certainly in the way that they communicate with uh, with that audience and are transparent about how they are making these changes. So not the logo. I mean, you could, but uh, if you wanted to, it's not like it's specifically a masterpiece. Um, I think it's it struggles visually from what most uh, or many uh, graphic identities do poorly, which is they try to jam too many elements into one kind of visual. But uh, that's not the that's not the issue. I think it's really about the organization and and how and how they communicate the change that they need to make. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree, and I think this goes back to what constitutes a rebrand, right? I mean, to visually change Hockey Canada because of the scandal, I think would be, um, you know, not. I'm trying to think of the right word. Um, 
not suicide. So I want to say it. It would just be Brett and suicide. Um, because there's a lot of people who really are very, very loyal to that brand. And, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater because of some missteps, some misfootings from some of the members of that league, I think would totally um, alienate a lot of their, you know, their base of like, you're changing everything that I know and love and I'm loyal to. We talked about the Elks. I think that's an example there. But I do think that there is you know, a communication crisis here. So um, I guess I'm just like a one for the retro brands. Uh, but when we think about Tylenol, the poisonings that happened in, happened in the 1980s, they could have completely abandoned ship. They could have said, we're no longer no longer Tylenol. We are not something else. But what they did was they course corrected. They had case studies. They had roundtables. They changed the way that packaging now exists for all of those pills. When we have a headache, and we're frustrated and we can't get it open. That's because of something that Tylenol did and the way that they kind of restructured how they approach things. So I think for Hockey Canada specifically, it's about looking at protocols. It's maybe suspending players and putting out a public statement. It's about how they make, you know, value add moving forward. We're never going to let this happen again. Here's what we stand for. Here's who we are. We are Hockey Canada. We're better than this. Calling all professional engineers or those soon to get their PNG anywhere in Canada or even beyond. The team at Apex Automation wants to talk to you. They're hiring skilled engineers and technicians that are keen on joining the move toward automation that want to be part of Industry 4.0. Whether you're an electrical or instrumentation engineer, computer science or process engineer, mechanical engineer, electrician, instrument technician, you get the idea. There's a place for you. If you want to realize your true career potential at apexautomation.ca. If you're a decision maker for a business, big or small, or maybe for a municipality, you know the value, the importance of keeping your eye on your bottom line. Local Environmental Services understands that too. And their customers in Edmonton and Whitecourt and Regina and area understand that they're about so much more than just garbage they believe that communities deserve better learn more about your full service environmental solutions partner local by visiting localenvironmental.ca thanks for checking out the best of real talk if you liked what you saw or heard here make sure to subscribe on youtube or wherever you get your podcasts if you want to check out our merch or how you can become a real talk patron check out our website ryanjesperson.com and catch fresh episodes of real talk weekdays at 8 30 mountain time <laughs>